0: 70% of employees today, right now, are actively looking to leave their current organization or watching job boards. So I told everybody in this conference that in this session that I was speaking to, I said, think about that. Now line 10 people up on the wall, seven of your people are looking for another job.
1: There are organizations out there that are actually really excited about that piece of data that you just heard because they know that people are about to come banging on their doors because they want to be a part of a place that really cares for their people and has a wonderful culture. And what do I mean by culture? Well, get a ping pong table, an espresso machine, happy out, no, <laughs> I'm kidding. Culture is so much more than that. It's so much deeper than that. And Sunny Linebarger, I couldn't think of a better person to explain what it really means than her. She's our guest today. She's the founder and CEO of Evoke Greatness. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that is in our show, but we're going to talk about things like finding dynamic people and keeping them, what it looks like to go from being someone's coworker to their manager, leadership development, of course, how to build your bench. We're going to talk about even LinkedIn strategy and the value behind that some of the success that she's seen. And then we're gonna end with how um, we're all really addicted to our phones and we need to stop that. So Sonny honestly just makes me wanna run through a brick wall and I know she's gonna do the same for you. So it's time for you and me to wake up and leave. Let's go. When I think about people that really motivate me in life, Sonny Linebarger is one of the first people that I think of. Between following her on LinkedIn and seeing just some of the, um, some of her mindset, the way that she leads other people, and all the different things she's doing on her life, just get me really excited. And so having her on the show today is an honor, and you are going to get so much value from this, so I will waste no more time. We're going to hop in. Sunny, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. I am a number one Hampton fan, and so the opportunity to be here, I, I jump on any time.
1: <laughs> I um I think I'm more of a Sunny fan, given the fact that I sent her a personalized dog collar for her That's dog true. Stella. So um so far I'm winning. I I haven't gotten my personalized dog collar from her yet.
0: For <laughs> <laughs> right? yes. Finn, right? Your sister. yes.
1: No, I'm I, I'm I'm kidding. Um, but but thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited. Um, so Sunny is is in the middle of a big transition in her life right now. She has been. She was the CEO of Bristol Hospice, incredible leader, and now is transitioning um, and, and she's founded what she's calling a Vote Greatness. I'm not going to steal anything from there. I want her to talk about that. But first, I would love to hear a bit of your story um, from the hospice space. Can, can you tell us just how you got started and and really how um, you, basically how you became the CEO of Bristol? I know that's a three hour story, um, <laughs> but just just give me some of it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. So no, it's actually a pretty cool story. Um, I talk about my journey from CNA to COO. It was a twenty year journey, and uh, so I started out my career in healthcare on the very bottom rung of the ladder. You know, the lowest paid um, position within healthcare, and wasn't something I ever really wanted to do. My mom said, "Hey, do this backup plan." I was majoring in psychology. She said, "Why don't you go get your CNA license?" Just, just. So you have a backup. And I was like, no, thank you. Like, I have no desire for that. And she goes, well, how about I pay for it? I'm like, done. Went and got my CNA license and then um, going to school full time and thought, you know, maybe I should try this. And so I ended up getting a job at a registry. For anyone who knows what a registry is, uh, when somebody doesn't show up for work, you get called. And they're like, hey, we have the most you know, facility that is just awful, that you would never put your parents in, somebody didn't show up, they're going to give you the worst case with the heaviest, meanest patients, go enjoy your next eight hours. Wow. And so that was what I did for the first couple of years. Um, And I frankly, loved it. Like I got to connect with people on a human level. And what I what I put into it, like I was nobody to them, right? They were not going to see me again. Um, What I put into it was, I saw that everybody else didn't want to take care of these patients. And so they would get put on the person who was coming in to in the shift. And if I could give them eight hours of care and compassion, like they were a human being, then maybe the rest of their months or years or day was not going to be something that was pleasant. But I, I, in my head, I thought that next eight hours, they're going to get incredible care. And that was all I could do. But then I left there and I would say, okay, That eight hours, I did what I could do to impact this patient. And so really, that was kind of my philosophy throughout. Ended up becoming a nurse, going through nursing school, and um, did bedside hospice care. Never had a desire to be a leader whatsoever. I saw what the leaders had to go through, and I was like, "Mm -mm, no, thank you. And people slowly started grooming me and giving me, I was the person who would show up after my shift was done and say, hey, is there anything else I can do for you? Is there any visits that need to be covered? Those types of things. Um, and then it would, you know, be, I would be helping with audits or I would be just trying to, you know, take some of the junk off of my leader's plates because I respected them and I appreciated them. And so I started learning those things and then people started seeing things in me that I maybe didn't see in myself. And so slowly started kind of organically going into leadership and then stayed in my clinical lane. said, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a a really good clinician and and a leader. And I did that and then I got really curious about the business side of things and went in and asked uh, about a role for operations learning the business side finance sales did that and really learned that well and then um, almost four years ago uh, Bristol was really kind of an unknown entity um, especially within the hospice space they had just been acquired by a private equity company and their COO was retiring. And so at the time I was actually recruited for two different COO positions. And uh, one of them was a larger company, one of them was a smaller company. And so I went all the way, I went to, flew to New York City and met with the board of one, flew to Salt Lake City, met with the board of the other, and then ended up making a decision to go with Bristol. And, um, And it had some of the funnest years of my entire career there, because the focus was, I had creative freedom. Like I had, uh, oftentimes you'll have the CEO and they're the visionary CEO executes on what that vision is. I had the opportunity to cast a lot of the vision and execute it on execute on it and then build the team to continue executing. And so it was, we hired dynamic people and we put them in a position where they, um, you know, my team in particular, they had strengths in the areas that I had weaknesses, which is a beautiful combination. You don't, sometimes you have leaders who want to kind of replicate themselves. And when you find people who can pick up on the areas that maybe you're not so good at, that's what really makes strength and dynamics in a team. And so hired this incredible team and got out of their way. Like they were brilliant people who, if they were given creative freedoms, most of them came from big box companies that were like, here's what you're gonna think, here's what you're gonna do, just don't ask any questions. These people were brilliant. And when you said, hey, color outside the lines, like let's solve this problem. And there may be 11 ways to solve it. And so let's start throwing things on the board and see what works. These people like flourished because they were incredible leaders. They were brilliant people who had never been given the creative freedoms. So to build that type of dynamic inside of a company and to get out of people's way and let them continue growing their people, it created a ripple effect. And all of that creates culture. And so we had uh, an amazing culture that I called my team the unicorn team because there are very few times in life when you get a group of people together that mesh so well, that will walk to the ends of the earth for one another And when you have that, like you hold on to dear life for that. And it doesn't, it usually doesn't last a lot of years because it's like this little snippet in time that like you just super appreciate and value them. But then these people, they need to spread their wings and they need to go grow and fly and do amazing things. And a great leader supports that. They're like, here's the launching pad, you know. Go to it like how can i support you through this and so that was really what kind of the last almost four years has been is building this incredible cultural uh kind of project uh where people really thrived and grew and so that is that's my passion is building culture in companies but it's not like culture is a a trendy word nowadays that's culture really means you put the foundation in a company you cast a great vision you have the right people executing you build that high caliber team, you get out of their way and you kind of let these things continue rep- to replicate and flourish.
1: So the hardest part about being a podcast host, when you <laughs> have someone like Sonny on the show is that she went mentioned 10 just gold statements and now I have to choose, well, where do we go with that? Um, I mean, I love your story. This is awesome and and lots to share here, but let me rewind. Something that you said early on is you said, I didn't really have a desire to be a leader. I just showed up and I worked really hard. I was showing up after and saying, hey, where can I help you? Mm-hmm. And eventually, it sounds like people called out something in you that you didn't see in yourself. Um, tell me a little bit what that looked like.
0: Yeah, so that would mean, um, gosh, getting lead, you know, hey, do you want to be the lead, whatever for this? And, and it terrified me. I didn't want to be in a highlighted position. Like I just wanted to go take really good care of my patients. At the end of the day, like that was my goal. I want to be a good team member to my team. I want to be a good employee for my leader. And I think when you show up, like I was also probably super naive and I just really wanted to do the right thing, but I think that's a great place to be. And that's a great place to learn. Um, But so for instance, my, that person that I would go in after hours and say, how can I help? I got a call one weekend. I'd never been in a leadership role before. And she called me and she said, Hey, I want to let you know that I'm going to be putting in my notice. And I was like, great, where are we going? Like, you, t- you tell me, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. And she said, um, I don't want you to follow me. I was like, oh, what? And she said, I want you to take over my job. And I was like, wow. you, you are crazy. Like, no way, no shape, no how. And she said, well, I already put your name in for it. And uh, I really want you to think about it over the weekend. And so I started thinking about it. And I thought, gosh, and that was probably one of the hard, now that I think about it, it's probably one of the hardest roles I ever took. When you go from being on the same side of the table with your team to then flipping to the other side of the table. Now, if your team respects you, like that's, you know, it can make for a smoother transition. My team really respected me and, and they thought of all people, you know, they'd love to have me on the other side of the table, but then you have to start holding people accountable in a way that you didn't before when you were on this side mm-hmm. of the table. and so. Uh, but you lo- those are things that you stumble through but I think you know people tapping you and calling you to say, hey, I want you to step outside of your comfort zone and do this thing that you may think is scary but I think you're ready for. I,
1: and I know that you've done that for so many people since like you can look back at this person and say, hey, I don't want you to follow me. this is yours for the taking go do it And that's that's the multiplication that that we love to see. And that's what leadership is where you call something out and somebody else and say, no, like it's yours. Now go do right. it. I know you've done that for a lot of people. Oh
0: yeah, for <laughs> sure. And, but I think once you get to that place where, um, where the light bulb comes on, where you say the more important piece is for me to kind of give and pour into others and not expect anything in return, right? Like I want to set you up. You may not even know that you're going to be this incredible leader, but I know I know that you have all the makings of it. And I want you to get scared and step into that zone of uncomfortability so that you can flourish. And I think often for a lot of us, right, we probably wouldn't have flourished the way we did unless someone made us get into that uncomfortable zone.
1: Mm, yeah, I think that's good. I think you can, you, on one hand, you can only prepare somebody so much until they're actually in that role. But I imagine that along the way, there were things that this individual was doing for you to develop you, whether it was through like coaching or feedback or things like that. So let's transition into the leadership development side of things. If somebody goes on the Evoke Greatness website, one, you're just going to be blown away because it's awesome. But if you <laughs> scroll down to the bottom, there's some really mind boggling data. Um, one of the things I saw, and, and I'll read it, but I, I'll, I'll ask you some questions about it. It was about leadership development. It says 83% of businesses say leadership development is important at all levels but only 5% do it at all levels. That's right. Any thoughts there?
0: <laughs> it, 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 when I saw, so I'm, I'm a total data geek. Like I love digging into statistics. And so what I thought about when I was launching this business is what are those problems that I want to solve for other people, right? And again, my whole emphasis is around culture, but you have to break that down into what that really means uh, in a palatable way for others that would positively impact their business or their lives. And so when you think about the fact, I know this from personal experience from the inside of an organization is oftentimes you talk about leadership development, right? Uh, we, we need to grow this person into this role or whatever that looks like. But how often are those true, like the trajectory set out or the pavers laid out to say, hey, here's what you need to do. Let me walk you through. Let me give you some bumper guards around this first step, right? And then we're gonna help you get to the second step. No, usually what happens is somebody leaves a position, you don't have the bench strength to backfill it and you do like a panic hire or a panic uh, promotion. And you put somebody in there and they're ill-equipped and nobody ever said, hey, here's the rules or here's the, you know, the bumper guards around what we want you to do. But like, hey, just go lead these people, right? Uh, and maybe that's by growing, The business. Maybe that's by increasing or improving revenue. When you don't tell people how to do those things and you just expect them to learn, there are often times where you're going to fail that person. And I've seen it happen a hundred times. So when you try to create, put some intentionality around creating a program where there's structure and you coach these people to say, hey, here's what we hope to expect out of this. I'm going to tell you how we're going to show up for you. I need you to tell me how if we need to show up differently or if you need something if you need more training on this or that but unless we're engaging like that being really intentional around it we're putting people in positions they're they're maybe not ready for and then we get upset when they fail and that's not fair you're failing that employee you're failing that person because if you just would have put some structure around it and really set them up then they could have really excelled your business
1: mm. At Wildspark, our tagline is "Leaders Ready," and it's because of everything that you just said. And in our world, it's it's unpredictable necessarily when that management role is going to open up. I mean, some organizations they they kind of know, but it's you you panic hire. There's the panic promotion that happens, and so what can you do to be building that bench? You know,
0: when you when you take someone who you know has qualities that you want to advance within the organization within your company whatever that looks like you don't have to just wait for them to to launch them into that next promotion or that next role you can be slowly doing some you know mentorship with people along the way of hey i want to give you an overview as to what this role looks like i think you might be interested in i mean i think it may be something that will suit you well in your growth trajectory but let's get you ready for it ahead of time and i have a, a leader um that worked for me in Bristol, who does a tremendous job at this. She really kind of preps and prepares and pours into her people early on and says, hey, what do you want to do? Because I think that's a big piece, right? If you're not willing to take the time to say, what is fundamentally important to you in this, in your career path? Maybe that is, I want to be the very best, whatever my role is today, right? And so just help me get better at this. Maybe it's, I want your job. I've had people tell me that. And I'm like, yes, how do we get you there? Like, what can I do to put the pavers down to get you in my job? Because there is no better uh, kind of feeling as a leader than when someone says, I want your job. You know, it shouldn't be a piece where you get, where ego gets involved and you're like, whoa, I don't, you know, don't be working for my, or vying for my job. It's not what it's about. Like, heck yes, how do we get you there? And so when you're starting to pour into people early because you've planned and you're intentional around it, Then when that position comes open and somebody, you know, only gives you a two week notice and you would otherwise be in a really bad position where you'd have to make one of those panic placements, somebody is ready up at the, you know, at the plate, just ready to knock it out of the park because you planned ahead of time. And then if you're really wise and you have led somebody who's able to lead other people and develop them well, they have their replacement ready to go.
1: Yes, this is, this is amazing. I mean, mean, that the multiplying leader, it, it, right. succession planning is so often talked about only at the top. But how can you do that at every level? And then your talent factory is just running from there.
0: You have bench strength. that's like six people deep. And that's a really good place to be an organization.
1: Do you see this happening at many organizations?
0: No. Uh, and, and, and thereby, there's, that's why there's the statistics, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. High percentage.
0: Yeah. The high percentage of companies say that that's what they want to do. But when it comes down to it, there's only 5% who are actually taking steps to advance their leadership development program. There's a major delta there. And so that is indicative of what most organizations do. We, you know, I think the idea is we want to have a great leadership development program. And there's day-to-day and we're you know, trying to grow our census and, and we're trying to tweak our finances and we're trying to get better. And then so-and-so quit. And so we had to put somebody in there. And there's a thousand reasons as to why you, why you would let yourself not create a leadership development program. If you're wise, you do everything in your power to make sure that you were in that 5% who are actually doing something about it.
1: Mm. So I talk a lot about failure. I'm going to be open about my failure right here. There is a part edited in this episode that you're listening to, because I forgot what I was trying to say, but I just remembered it. So here it is. Keith Cantor on last week's episode talks about, he says, building a a strong leadership development program that does what Sonny and I are talking about isn't necessarily super expensive. It just takes intentionality and prioritization. And I don't think people know where to start or they're afraid that if they really dive in, maybe it won't work. I mean, Mm -hmm. what? I guess, why is this not happening?
0: Yeah. Again, I think there's a thousand things that come up every day, right? And if you're busy dealing with fires, you're not, there's not a lot of intentionality around what you're doing, but wouldn't you rather take some time, create a committee. Like it doesn't have to be you create a committee of, of people who this is their, you know, something that lights them up or they have a skill set to do delegate that, but like have somebody in your organization dedicated to being intentional around crafting something. Maybe you have to do 10 reiterations of it right? It may fail the first handful of times. And that's okay. Cause at least you're applying the effort to do so. And I assure you that your people are seeing, even if you're, if you're trying to roll these programs out and they're not, you know, you have to tweak them a couple of times over. People are noticing that my company is investing in me and my growth, and they see value in me to be able to put that into me and help me help them.
1: And imagine the employee engagement skyrocketing. When when your employees see that, that, hey, they care. They may not have it perfect right now, but they're trying. They want me here and they want to develop me. Of course, they want me to stay here long-term, but the best companies are the ones that say, even if they leave, they say, because they were at Bristol or wherever they are, they're better now for it. And so another statistic on your website about employee engagement is only 36% of U.S. employees are engaged in their work. Yeah, and you
0: know what that means. What's the delta between 130, 100 and 36%? That means that delta is not engaged. Do you know what that means to your bottom line? Do you know what that means to your productivity? Do you know what that means to your morale? Do you know what that means to your culture? That means your company is eroding. As we speak, your company is eroding. If you have 36%, line 10 people up on the wall, that's almost four of those people that are absolutely not engaged in your business that you are paying them to do every day. Yeah, And if you're not paying attention, yeah, if you're not paying attention, uh, you know, there was a a statistic that I shared at a conference earlier this week, and that was around, I think the statistic was like, whatever, what must be the Delta, but I thought it was something like 70% of employees today, right now, are actively looking to leave their current organization or watching job boards so i told everybody in this conference that within this session that i was speaking to i said think about that now line 10 people up on the wall seven of your people are looking for another job yeah and so if you don't have a leadership development program in place if you're not investing in and being thoughtful around then you have seven spots to fill and you've prepared no one to step into them and so uh, another statistic that was shared in this, it was on recruitment and retention and the cost of, it's like, you're going to pay 200% of the person's salary when they leave, if you don't have an appropriate backup plan in place before Goodness. you get somebody else back in there. Yeah. Wow.
1: So April Sprints, that's how I say her last name. I know y'all yes. are friends. I've heard y'all on the show together. She said everything with the great resignation, the companies that are developing their people that do have employee engagement, they're excited about the great resignation because everybody wants to come to them.
0: That's right. That's right. Yes, yes. Uh, so what, what's interesting is like amongst hospice companies, there's a there's a handful of really big hospice companies. And the beautiful thing about what we were creating at Bristol around the culture was, I was taking the very best talent from all of those organizations. Why? Because I'm on LinkedIn actively. I'm engaging. What I like to do is is some people don't understand that. Like you post all these pictures. Like what does that even do? you know what I'm doing? I'm sharing the lens. Of the company that I'm working for, the company that I'm creating, I show the lens in. So I'm giving people a sneak peek into what it's like to work for me, and that was how we created this high caliber uh, leaders who wanted to, who were leaving their organizations sometimes after like ten plus years, and taking a chance on this company that nobody had really heard a whole lot about. And those were some of the best and brightest. And so if you can do that. And you promote that type of culture. And and again, the big piece is don't just talk the talk, right? Uh, If you're not upholding or honoring your word of what you told somebody the company was when you brought them in, then how do they see you when they come in and they're like, oh, this, this is nothing about what you said. You know, I think you have to keep that perspective that you share on social media or whatever on LinkedIn, you have to keep that realistic, right? And it's not always a highlight reel. That's why I think, you know, you and I are both similar in the fact that we share a lot of our fails and that those are almost more important, informative stories in what we're doing than the wins. Mm.
1: A lot of people post their, their core values and about their, their culture and everything on their website, but it has been cool seeing you share some of your life, a sneak peek on LinkedIn. And if I'm in hospice, I'm working at Bristol yesterday because (laughs) I, I, and I, and I think let's talk about that for a second. You don't have to sell me on LinkedIn. I think most people listening to this might want me to post a little bit less, but (laughs) but we both get it. There's lots of good that can come from it to the, and recently I've had some, some CEOs and some executives that I know that are like, all right, fine. Tell me about this whole LinkedIn thing. Like, give me your pitch. So, so Sonny, what what would you say to to this whole LinkedIn thing?
0: Yeah, no, I'm all for it. Like I am all about it. Um, I think it gives you a way to show. So it either gives you a way to be showy, which I think is the wrong way to go about it. And and you're going to, you know, whatever. You can't uphold that all the time. If you are showing up authentically, that resonates with people. That's what I try to do. I think that's what we all try to do. At least the people in my sphere are you show up and you share the stories And you, uh, you know, and and I get people messaging me all the time, or even like at conferences, I've never met them before. They're like, I have met you or I have been following you on LinkedIn for years. And like, they'll tell me a specific story that stood out to them. I'm like, wow, you can tell that story better than I can, but that like, and there's people who, you know, just as I've had conversations about transitioning to doing my own business. Now they're like, I want, I want you to like, come talk about X at my company, because I see you on there and I know people who know you and those two things align, right? They don't, they don't just feel like you're somebody who's fluffy and, and painting rainbow and sunshine on LinkedIn because you're willing to share and be vulnerable on the things that, you know, that you screw up on or missteps. Uh, you're willing to share the lessons that you got out of those things, you know, and you're also willing to give important into others. And I think all of those things really equate to being an authentic leader.
1: Oh, and by the way, without LinkedIn, no one's listening to this podcast right now because it wouldn't be happening. And without yeah. me meeting Sunny through LinkedIn, this podcast wouldn't happen either because she started one <laughs> called Evoke Greatness, and I listened to it, and I said, I want to do that too. So <laughs> thank you for inspiring me. I'm one of those stories right here. So this is, this is great. So we talked about culture 10 years ago. Um, I, if, if you're talking about culture, you're doing it right. Now, everyone's talking about culture, so that, that can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the pieces of data on your website is millennials prioritize, prioritize people and culture fit over everything else. So it is important, right?
0: Yes. 80. I think another statistic on there is 86% of millennials will not work for a company that has a bad reputation Mm. and your culture, your brand is your reputation. And so that's why, you know, talking about the fact of what you put out there has to also be in incongruency with what you're really doing within the company. And so, you know, how many times, I'm sure there's countless stories of people who got brought into a company who were told it was going to be x and turned out to be y. And that's incredibly disappointing. Well, guess what? People talk, people share that. And millennials in the coming years will be 75% of our workforce. And so, if you aren't paying attention to that and you think that you can keep this whole, you know, how we how we do it today is how we've always done it and we're not willing to change anything, You will not have that majority of workforce working for you because you're going to have a poor reputation and you're not going to have an emphasis on culture or pouring into people and growing people and your business will fail 100%.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, Is there a when is there going to be a new word for culture? What are the people that really get culture? What are they calling it now? Are they still saying culture? I'm just, I'm just curious. Yeah, I think
0: they're still saying culture. And it's funny as, as I talk about what I'm doing in my business, a lot of it is, and I always leave with the emphasis of my passion is, is creating culture, right? Is, is creating a culture shift. What that really means, like that culture is the trendy word that we all use of like, oh, it, the way it feels, the way it makes me feel the way I show up and like my mood is shifted. What that really is, is when you get down to the tactical steps of it. And that is creating a foundation for the business, right? And that is understanding what your vision is, not just what it is. Like you have to, there's some heavy vision casting that has to be done. You have to share that story of what the what the company is going to become by way of your vision. People don't have to. Like buy into that's what they have to just believe that you believe that that's what the company's going to turn into. And so I've had countless people over the years tell me like, I came because like, I heard the vision that you shared on our interview. And I love that because I think that's powerful. But if you don't, of course, back that up, you know, then it becomes an an, an empty promise. But so if you build the foundation of your company, you cast a vision, you bring the right people in and you make sure the right people are in the right positions you lead by example, and you hold everybody to a sense of responsibility and accountability to continue promoting exactly what you've built. Is it going to be perfect 100% of the time? Absolutely not. Will you fail at times? Absolutely, right? We all make mistakes. for human. But if you have put those elements and those building blocks in place, when people show up, they know they have a boss that has their back. They know that they get feedback, sometimes hard to hear feedback. But they get feedback, nonetheless, on a regular cadence. They know that they have a team that supports them. They understand the vision of what they're working towards. When you have all that, you show up every day and you're like, I really like this place. I like these people. And when we spend more time at work than we do at home with our family, we have to really like what we do. And right now, the statistic is 36% of people are engaged. That means they are showing up really liking their job. I would, you know, and I, and so I would stress all organizations. You think your you think your culture is good, you know, take a really good introspective look at how you can get better. And I think that's that's the gift that I bring. That's where my building of my business is in an intersection of what I excel at and what I'm really good at, and what I'm passionate about.
1: I'm ready to run through a brick wall. Let's go. <laughs> this is great. Uh, I I mean, and even something you mentioned, I talk about this on every podcast but boardroom to family room you spend more time at work than you do at home and so if you're not i mean when you can have a culture that is not necessarily ping pong tables and espresso machines those are great but like when you're thinking about the vision and you follow through with it when you have a foundation when you have the right people accountability all of those things um and 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 you really fill your people up at work so they feel like they're winning and it's a place they want to be then they go home where it matters most to them and they're encouraged. When they're having a good experience at home with their families, they'll come back to you and, and be their best selves. And right. it's, it's a cycle. Um, wow, this is awesome. Okay, so in order to be able to lead other people, you've got to be able to lead yourself first. Sorry. And so w- when I say leading yourself, what are some things that come to mind for you and, and how are you doing that in your life?
0: Yeah, I think you have to know what your core values are in your life. Right. And that a lot of that starts at home and it's really figuring out what is fundamentally important to you. And maybe that is, you know, I want to eventually get to from a career perspective. I want to be the CEO today. I may be, you know, whatever, whatever role way down the line. And so what do I need to do from a leadership perspective? How do I need to show up? And your leadership is not just at work. Your leadership is at home. And so I think about leadership in how I am showing up as a wife to my husband and how I'm showing up as a mom to my boys. What, it, you know, the leadership lessons that I share with them, the things that I put up on their wall, like I'm, I'm very much into motivational wall art or motivational wearables. Like most everything I have around me says something. That's and shocking. If, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, Isn't I'm it? kidding. <laughs> you can't, yeah. Um, but you, if you are not feeding the good, what are you putting in there? You know, and so we don't, there's not a whole lot of TV watched at our house. Um, growing up, my mom used to get ready for work. She'd have the news on while drinking a cup of coffee in the morning. So you know what I did when I was like eight, 20 on my own? I got up, getting ready for work, and I turned the TV on and I would have my cup of coffee until I got to a point where it was like I was in a like ugly frame of mind leaving for work because I had just watched all the things going wrong on TV about how bad the world is, and like how do I show up all excited <laughs> and, and ready to, you know, give my all when you start your day out that way. And so how you, how you pour into yourself in a number of ways is how your leadership starts. But it's at home, it's at work, it's at you know the things that are important to you outside of work, it's at church, at your hobbies, at sports. Um, and all of those things are about how what does your best self want to show up as?
1: So good. Tell me about mindset. I know you think about that a lot too.
0: Yes. Yeah, mindset is huge. So for the first probably 35 years of my life, I hadn't, uh, I didn't really even understand what mindset was. And it wasn't until I had gotten some executive coaching that was really transformative for me that I started focusing on and unpacking like the reason that I didn't really understand what mindset was or the reason I just showed up the way that I showed up. And what I learned through that is I started just absolutely consuming books and podcasts and, and every, I mean, everything I could, like, I just wanted to pour it in my ears and and my mouth, everything. Like I just wanted to take it all in because it was like this new thing for me. And what I didn't realize was that kind of the difference between fixed mindset and growth mindset, you know, fixed mindset is you don't feel like you have any control over your circumstances, right? I'll never get out of this job that I go to every single day because I don't have the skills. And it's like, you know, just that negative Nelly type thinking versus growth mindset of I don't have the skills yet to get that job, but I'm going to start working for them, And that, that fundamentally shifted my life in how I looked at things and how I showed up. And so it was probably almost annoying for my husband. He's like, what is actually happening here? Because I was like, I just, I wanted to consume it like 24 hours a day and started going to conferences. And, and, um, but he, I think saw that shift in me as well. And, and now we really kind of lead each other along the way. And I think you have to have that kind of give and take, but mindset is everything. Mindset is how you wake up intentional and set out for the day. You know, if you wake up in a place where you're like, you know, this is God, I don't want to go to work. I can't stand so-and-so at work, or my boss, you know, doesn't, I don't like them. They don't support me. My organization stands for X and I stand for Y. Um, I'm not happy with my relationship or the way I'm parenting or, you know, whatever, like it can fill in the blank. And if you don't actively and intentionally start to shift your mind around what it could be versus what it is today, and then do the work to get you to fill in that Delta, That's, that's really what mindset is. It's doing the work, being open to uh, what could be the curiosity around it.
1: That is the greatest explanation for why I started this podcast in the first place. It's really, I mean, it's accountability for myself, but it's also like, wake up and lead. Yeah, wake up in the morning and lead, but really like wake up and lead, get rid of the fixed mindset. And have a growth mindset. I didn't know about that until six months ago. I realized all the areas in my life where I had a fixed mindset where I'm telling myself the story of, oh, I'm stuck here. I'm never going to be this. I'm never going to be that. And it is just that simple shift. And it's not, it's not always simple, but like doing the work, so much can happen from that. So I'm getting, I've got one more like, you know, personal leading yourself question. I know you're a big habits, routine person. What does, I know like health and fitness and nutrition and all that is big to you along with like devotional journaling. Tell me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So I get up in the morning and um, I get up in what I feel like is probably earlier than most. I usually get up about five o'clock. Stella does not permit me to sleep after five. Uh, (laughs) She likes to get up and, and have coffee with me and get our day started. And so the nice thing about that is, is when you have kids, you know, it can get hectic, right? Just because of our busy schedules, that morning routine for me, those first couple hours before the rest of the world is awake is sacred time, because that is the time that if I get, uh, the rest of the day gets distracted and taken, you know, somewhere else other than what I had planned, I won't find time for that. Right. It's like saying, I'm going to go to the gym tonight after work, after whatever. Um, and, and so in the morning I go down I get my coffee and I sit down and I've got my devotional. It's the first thing I do because like, and and let me preface with this, this thing doesn't get picked up.
1: Yes. She's holding her phone by the way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So my phone does not get picked up. I have had to have like these bright lines, clear lines around the fact that until my morning routine is over, I don't touch my phone. And so I do my devotional. uh, I journal And talk through like, what are the top three things? Um, I'm doing Jake Thompson's uh, Compete Everyday Journal right now. And it talks about the three yards. What are your three yards? It's like, those are the three things that you have to, you know, that you're going to accomplish throughout the day. Um, So I uh, do that. And I kind of map out my day and the things that I'm super grateful for, because I think that's a part of mindset, right? You have to, you have to be in a place of gratitude and it, and intentionality. And that really sets the tone for your day and then I read at least a chapter of whatever book I'm reading. So those three things have to get done before I ever pick up that phone. And for the first, uh, probably three, four months of doing it, I would find my hand like subconsciously going to reach for my phone. I'm in the middle of devotional. And, and for whatever reason, like I heard a buzz or a, and I go to reach for it. And I'm like, that's a problem. You know, that's a problem. But You know, I think those are the ways that I start out my day, and that gets my head right. And if I get my head right, starting out, I can face whatever the day, whatever comes at me through that day.
1: Mm. A place of gratitude, getting your head right. So good. Uh, We're addicted. I'm addicted to my phone, you know, so putting it away out of sight is huge. And like you said, we're doing a devotional. Sometimes I'll reach for it, and I'm like, God, what am I doing? Yes. Oh, so sorry. Yes. <laughs> you are so much better than whatever I'm trying to look at on my phone. Right. Uh, okay. As we're wrapping up here, I want to hear more about evoke greatness. I mean, as I am listening to you talk, I'm like, I, greatness is being evoked as we speak right now, <laughs> but just, just, just tell me a little bit about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, about a year ago, really kind of started doing this little, you know, building my brand, building a personal brand because I had this big, scary, quiet dream uh, that I didn't share with anybody of like, I I want to positively impact millions of people. I want to have, you know, I want to be able to impact organizations and and I felt like I was making an impact within my organization and that was great. Um, I'm sure my team appreciated it. Uh, I poured into them, they poured into me and it was a great place to be, but I had kind of bigger dreams around, I want to have impact that goes outside of an organization. You know, and that continues to have a ripple effect. And so, I was terrified, and I started my podcast last year, and it was like probably a year that I wanted to do that, and I was just petrified. So I finally recorded the very first episode, and I was like, "All right, I'm putting this out there. Like, this is going to be terrible, absolutely terrible. But if I do that, then then it's out there. I can't take it back. I could, but like you can't take it. Like people have heard it, and." Then you're going to talk, it's going to be forcing you to talk about it, which is super uncomfortable. And, but if you go at it with the intention of sharing stories along the way of people's failures and successes on their way to greatness, then, then you're serving others. And if people can vicariously learn through my mistakes and not have to make it on their own, like that's a gift. And if I can share the stories of others and do that same thing for people to where they get these you know, gold nuggets, that's a great thing to do. And so started the podcast and then kind of had this, you know, I, I call it a, um, a soulful calling of, oh, I really want to do more. Like I really, I have these, you know, when I come home or whatever, I'll be talking to my husband, talking to my friends about, it, I'm like, you know, and it's like those things you have to like take a deep breath and oh, you, you don't want to say, cause it feels big. And, um, and I finally got to the place where I'm like, okay, look, uh, my son is starting high school this year. And, um, and our jobs can be a grind, right? Especially in the, when you have a growing organization, private equity backed, right? They're looking for their investment, a return on their investment. So you've got a bit of a grind. So when you think about private equity companies, they usually turn over and transact every kind of three to five years. Well, as I thought about that, it brought me to the fact that my son starts his freshman year this year. And let's say the average is four years before a company transacts. So another grind for another four years. And guess what? I missed his entire high school years. And I, that is absolutely not worth it to me. And so can I do this thing on my own? You know, who am I? You fight all those fears and that overwhelming feeling and imposter syndrome and, and all those, you know, good enemies that like to talk really negatively to you in your head. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. And so kind of mapped it out and, like i said i'm I'm. the intention of building this business is to be at the intersection of what i excel at what i'm really good at and what i'm passionate about and and coming in and uh, offering executive consulting and coaching and speaking are really what my company offers and so in doing that um the really interesting piece is like executive coaching is just something that's like such a part of my heart because i love pouring into people and so if i can guide people and help them advance in their careers or walk them through things personally and professionally that will help them better themselves on the other side of it. And, and you get paid for it. Like that's almost ridiculous. Um, but also from the piece of being in the C-suite number, you know, being a woman in the C-suite who started out as a CNA, and there's a lot of wisdom and insight in there, but I've also learned that there's some things that I'm really good at. And so, as we talk about the culture, as we talk about uh, growth and finance and sales and all of those things, you could probably drop me into any company, out in, inside or outside of healthcare, healthcare, uh, and I could have an impact. And so how do I take those things and make this a business where I actually create revenue by way of these offerings? And so that's what I've started to do. And it's led to some incredible conversations um, throughout the conferences that I've been to lately um, of people being very interested in like, how do we, how could we, how could we make this work? And, uh, and it's, when you do this, you almost, you, it's almost a crapshoot, right? You feel like that anyway, like this could work, this, it could totally fail. Um, but I really think the, um, you know, the, the level of respect that I have for people in the industry and that they have for me, uh, the reputation that you build up, the things that are tangible, that people know about you, that you're good at, that you excel at, Those are these incredible offerings that you can have and you can show up for someone's organization. And if you can have a positive impact on culture in a way that they weren't able to execute on, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And that's not, doesn't just impact that CEO or the senior leadership that impacts everybody at a, at a deep level.
1: I'm so excited for you. (laughs) There are some really, really big things ahead and I believe in you. I mean, big things are happening. And, and before you even decided to jump in and, and go all in with this, I mean, you already had an impact on me. That That's seriously why we're here today. So thank you for everything you shared. I cannot wait to go back and listen to this five times. Um, <laughs> Sonny, have a great day and let's all go wake up, a, wake up. Oh, I just messed up. Here we go. Let's all wake up and lead so that we can evoke greatness.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure.
1: Absolutely. All right, folks, that's all I got for you. I hope you got half as much value out of that as I did. Sonny is next level. So challenge. Do something about this. Don't let this just be noise. If this is just noise that comes in one ear and goes out the other, this is a giant waste of time. And please tell me to quit doing this. I want you to take action. So talk to Sunny. She is an executive coach. She can help you build a committee within your organization. Um, talk to me about Wild Spark. We have a strategy to develop your current and future leaders. Um, do something. And then maybe you aren't thinking for leadership development within your organization. Maybe you're an individual contributor. Um, Hopefully that you are able to learn something about mindset or consistency or habits or phone addiction. I don't know what it is. The goal of this is to get you and I to wake up and lead. I'll see you next week.